Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Was There. This is the program that gets you up close and personal with people who were eyewitnesses to history. I'm Ron Roberson. And I'm Jeff Trujillo. And we are two peas in a podcast. Isn't that right, Jeff? Most of the time, <laughs> I say. We, we, we try. <laughs> well, it's good to share a pod with you. Uh, we got a great show lined up today, and we've been hearing from a lot of different people as well. So first of all, tell the folks how they can get a hold of us and how they can send us entries. Well, yeah, probably the best way to get a hold of us is our Facebook page. And yeah, when you say we've been hearing from a lot of people, you know, I kind of look at our numbers sometimes and I noticed that we have been downloaded now in 18 countries. Wow. So, which, you know, I don't know who these people are, but uh, I sure am <laughs> glad they're listening to us. I want to give a shout out to uh, all our friends across the world in those 18 countries. And thanks for listening and, and thanks for putting up with us. We'd love to hear from you. So if you want to give us a shout on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you and um, just check in. Yeah, Ron, some of those countries, uh, I know one person who's a fan reached out to us. His name's Tommy and he's in Guatemala and right. he's been downloading uh, our episodes in Guatemala. So I want to give a special shout out to Tommy in Guatemala. So, but to everyone else, thank you so much for your support. And um, yeah. Right on. Yeah. And I'd like to say hello to Sammy uh, Unduku from um, South Africa. No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Since you had folks, uh, I'd like to say Shananawa Halabula Bonke to him, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. whatever that means. The cattle are dying. Anyway, um, we got a great show, man. And two of, of my favorite people are here with us. This is going to be hilarious, everybody. This is going to be funny, and uh, you're going to really enjoy this. But two of my favorite people are here today, and we're going to talk about public access television and all the zany, crazy things that went on there. Yeah, so we're going to be diving into a little bit of not just history, but actually our own history, because all of us, what we have in common is we all kind of cut our teeth in the public access television world, which we'll get into, we'll explain what that is, but basically it was the early days of television that was open to everybody. Anybody who wanted to do a show had the ability and the opportunity to do a show. And so we helped facilitate those shows. And our two guests, Daryl Fazaro and Mike Degagne, we all um, worked together way back when, and uh, we all saw a lot of the craziness that went on during the early days of those. And these guys ran two of the biggest public access uh, stations in our company at the time. And so right. they're true pioneers and they've got some great stories. And so, yeah, yeah. that's, uh, that's right. how I got started. You remember I, I came to a workshop. Uh, I saw a thing that said, uh, learn how to produce your own television program. That's right. And I was all excited. And the first person I saw was you and a man named John Claude Felter. And you guys were doing a workshop. And that's when I started my first public access show, which was entitled, you don't even remember, what was the name of it? I think it was um, Hold the Broom. Wasn't it called uh, Take This Broom? And You had to go to the broom thing. <laughs> that's what they gave me when I came in to do my first show as a volunteer. They gave me a broom, but that's all right. I swept the room and, you know. <laughs> yeah. But no, what, what I remember you, you were one of the first ones that actually took it seriously. Right. In, in our studio anyway. And you actually did have a show. What was the name of that show? Faces and Places. Pieces and places. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And I remember, I had the gang members come in; those fake gang members. <laughs> I do remember. They, they were actually they were actually my neighbor's kids, and I dressed them up like gang members. <laughs> and had the whole studio in an uproar. Man, they came in with the with the dark glasses on and the hood, and you know. And I said, uh, "Have you ever killed anybody?" And so, but that was that was his cue to stand up. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. And the whole man, they had security outside, cop cars. I mean, uh, and little did they know that. These were kids from high school, man. They were acting out the whole thing, you know, but that was my claim to fame. 
uh, even cloud filter to say, gosh, man, you know, some interesting people, don't you? I said, man, that was scary. <laughs> really scary. But what yeah, a, what a time. how to make a splash Ron. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing compared to what these two guys, man, have experienced, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's bring them on. Uh, so yes. without further ado, uh, Mike and Daryl, welcome to the show. Thanks guys. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so uh, let's get started. As, like I said, I kind of mentioned we all started kind of cutting our teeth in public access. And so let's uh, let's hear from you guys. Mike, you worked there first before Daryl. Is that correct? I know you worked there before me and Ron. So let's start with you and tell us a little bit about how you got started and what your role was over there in the Hollywood studio. Okay. Well, um, back in 1984, I was going to school for production and I saw a posting on the bulletin board that said, internship, learn how to do camera, audio, switch. And I thought, well, how, holy smoke, this is perfect. Um, so I went down to the, uh, at that time it was called Communicom um, and applied to be an intern and they, they took me up. And like the, the first day I was on, I was doing camera. And so I was, to me, that was the greatest thing because I've heard of internships that involved, you know, the, the mail room or fetching coffee, things like that. But this was hands-on experience. So uh, part of my plan, if you call that, was to get a two-year degree in production and then two years worth of experience. And I thought those four years were worth the four-year degree. That was my, my thinking. Right. And so uh, after a year of experience, they, uh, one of the guys in charge there said, uh, uh, the crew here seems to like you. How about a full-time job? And I said, absolutely. Um, actually, <laughs> you mentioned John Cloudfelter. He was the one that hired me back. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, he wasn't in charge, the manager in charge, but he was one of the coordinators who uh, took a shine to me. And, and so I got in and in 1985, I became a full-time employee. They called us a production coordinators at the time. Yep. And um, I made $16,000 a year. That was my, wow. my starting salary back then. Uh, <laughs> nice. Oh, and uh, I got to tell you, but my first day on a shoot was with the show that had uh, uh, Cesar Romero. The Joker from the, Joker. the old Batman series. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. And I was thinking, holy, my first date, and I meet a celebrity. <laughs> you know, and, and he looked just like Cesar Romero. And um, at some point, uh, one of the, the crew said, find out what, how to spell his first name. So I got up and I said, you know, Mr. Romero, how do you spell Cesar? And he spelled it out. And, you know, I was talking to a celebrity. So it was, it was just kind of fun, you know, the, the atmosphere. This was the Hollywood studio on La Brea near Wilshire. Um, uh, a real small location with an alley in the back. Uh, the garbage truck would come through and we'd have to stop the production because the noise coming through. The garbage <laughs> truck. Uh, but I, anyway, that's how I got my start from there. Uh, you know, the cable company has changed about eight times over my 33 years. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I at one point became the manager of the, of the facility. Uh, we moved a few times um so th that's how i got started in public access nice and so just to backtrack a little bit we all ended up working for the same company and you mentioned john and john is a common thread with all of us in that he was there when you got hired he hired me he eventually hired ron daryl i don't know if he hired you or not but i know you came on a little bit later as well how did you get involved with it well you know what i have a little story you guys don't know about <laughs> uh -oh. okay here, here we go here we go i, I warned you is this the one oh. with the little boys <laughs> i told no. you not to mention that mike oh sorry no this actually uh i actually worked on my when i was in 1987 i was the uh, military liaison at the um 
prosecuting attorney's office in Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh, I was stationed in Honolulu uh, as a <laughs> member of the Coast Guard. And one of the guy, the young guy who was about my age at the time, so there was a guy about, you know, I guess I was eight, I was 25 at the time. Um, he worked there and he was the evidence and AV guy for the prosecuting attorney's office. So he was always like bagging, unbagging evidence, taking pictures of it, you know, doing all that prep work and all the AV stuff, the cameras, taking the pictures, taking the video. So he asked me uh, what I was doing, you know, on a Tuesday night, if I could help him out. So I said, nothing. He said, you want to work on a show? This was my first introduction to public access. It was Oceanic Cable and they had a public access studio and one of the uh, prosecuting attorneys did a you know one of those um, informative legal type uh, talk shows Mm -hmm. so i actually got qualified on the camera and everything way back in while i was still a member of the coast guard um in honolulu for oceanic cable and worked on several you know whenever they needed someone it was different No, it was kind of similar because the cameramen and everyone were volunteers, not employees. And the only one who was really the employee was the guy who worked the switcher. And so it was someone like Mike, and that was it at the facility. And every show had to bring their own crew. Right. So the crew had to, you know, get qualified. So I was just took the, you know, I was given the camera, which wasn't that difficult. Yeah, well, that was a very common thing. So I know that my own experience, we also dealt with a lot of volunteers. Most of the crew was volunteers. And so going back to what public access was, it, it basically, I did a, just a little bit of research leading into the show. It was started between 1969 and 1971 by the FCC, uh, the federal government. And basically their vision was to provide everyone an opportunity to have their own voice and on television. And so to be able to create their own television shows. And they actually ended up mandating different rules that uh, depending on subscribers, how many subscribers the community had, they had to create this opportunity for people to, to be on the airwaves. And so cable companies had to provide this service in many cases, but you know they didn't have people to do it. So typically they would have like a manager. They would allow people to come in and, and do their own shows. A lot of times they did have to have volunteers because I know that that's how I started was as a, as a volunteer. And that's how Ron started was as, as a volunteer. And Daryl, now you relating that story as well. I so, loved it. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, it was oh, yeah. a unique opportunity. Mike, like you said, I had a similar experience. I was in college at the time. I was looking for an internship. We, as part of the college I was going to, we had to do an internship. And so, you know, I was talking to all my classmates and they were doing internships, a lot of them for production companies up in Hollywood and stuff. And, you know, they're these terrible stories about, yeah, all I do is make copies or all I do is get coffee or whatever. But I found, I went and interviewed at the cable company and they're like, yeah, we'll put you on a camera today. And so that was really exciting to me and that I didn't have to go through all that. I could actually jump on and get hands-on production experience on from anything from cameras to editing to and those times you had roomfuls of equipment that it took in order to do a, a television show, um, obviously. And these were all precursors to today. You can do everything on a phone and YouTube. But yeah, so just to set up kind of what public access was, and it does still exist to a certain extent, but a very lesser extent. There are still public access channels, but but these were, especially Mike, when you came on and Daryl, when you came on and those were the early days of public access, really. It kind of hit its stride, I, I think, in the late 80s, I would say. Yeah, actually, in uh, 
you're talking about the history of the, the regulations. In 1984, the FCC created the, um, the Cable Communications Act, which mandated that cable companies provide facilities, channels and such. Um, and basically it gave the cities the opportunity to demand all kinds of things, uh, depending on the size of the city and how uh, adept they were, they could ask for, you know, as basic as, as one camera and a, a place to shoot to, in the case of Los Angeles, uh, multiple studios, production trucks of equipment to be checked out, editing facilities yeah. uh, and requirement. You know, we, we never had the volunteer aspect, at least um, in, the, in the city of LA franchise, they required that we provide personnel of some oh, wow. sort. Wow. Uh, which were, you know, it were interns and volunteers that worked for us, which later evolved when the California uh, decided internships shouldn't be uh, paid for nothing. Yep. Even though we, we, um, we, everybody that came through said they would do it, you know, for nothing anyway. Uh, so when that changed, then we started hiring uh, part-time people to, to work the cameras uh, for, you know, minimum wage. Uh, but right. they were still, you know, we had still had a line of people that wanted to do it for the experience. That's yeah, right. One of the greatest learning experiences of my life, as a matter of fact, public access changed my life. I, I had no idea what I was doing, what it was all about. But when I got in there, uh, I had arrived, man. I felt like I had really arrived, you know, cable te back in then cable uh, te television was really respected. Uh, not like it is today, you know, and it's kind of like a laughing <laughs> thing now, but uh, they really respected you. Cable's going to come in. They're coming, they're coming, they're coming. You'll be know, covering the games and, and all that kind of stuff, man. I, I learned everything. I learned everything. Voiceovers, script writing, you know, on camera, behind the camera. It was an amazing experience. And with all of that in mind, that brought on the scene some very zany and strange and weird characters. <laughs> yeah, you imagine what's on YouTube today and, you know, you can see everything from, you know, cats playing piano to, you know, anything. You Google or you, you search anything, you can find it. But back then, you know, you had kind of a, a range of people. You kind of had people who some took it seriously and some just saw it as an opportunity to jump on and <laughs> get famous that there were, I think there was a fame factor attached to it. Daryl, we were talking earlier and, and you were saying just what a great opportunity it was and, and share some of the experiences you had. You ended up managing a studio in Marina del Rey. Is that correct? Yes. I'd actually, I didn't really cut my teeth in public access. I think maybe it was a step down. <laughs> Cause right before public access, right. My first job out here, I, I pretty much land. I, I mean, I landed in a pot of gold. I was doing uh, miniatures. I got hired uh, literally off the street and I started doing miniatures. And the first film I worked on was Con Air. And I did actually, the, the, my scene was the big climax of the film. I built the Hard Rock Hotel uh, guitar that the plane smashes through. I worked with the plane. I mean, it was incredible. But I really didn't like the factory work atmosphere of working because it was a creative job and I loved, you know, art and being creative, but the mentality of that industry and even though it was the creative portion, the model building, it was still like golden time. And I was like, I don't want golden time. I want to go home. <laughs> but like none of these guys wanted to be home with their wives. You know, so it was like, I felt like I was back in New Jersey working at a factory. So when that <laughs> job ended, I had no idea about public access out here. And 
I didn't really understand what public access was. They were calling it public access, like, but this is like a hundred years prior in my mind. I thought it was real TV in a way. Like I didn't really get that it was all access. So I told Lori, I said, I gotta do something creative. So I started recording um, with my own video camera, street performers, the Red Elvises down at the Santa Monica Promenade, became friends with them. The Red Elvises? What yeah, was they, that? They were uh, a Russian, they were Russian immigrant rock and roll band. What, what did you think it was? Come on. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. The Red Elvises. Come on. So, <laughs> so I believe it was called Soviet Soul because there was Blue Eyed Soul. Not many people know about Soviet Soul. So I, I record all this stuff. You guys are going to believe this. A guy walks into me, he goes, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm doing videos about this, you know, about this. I'm just having fun doing videos because being creative keeps me high, keeps me in a good state of mind. But uh, I knew I didn't want to work, get hired again, working as, a, you know, on the movie behind the scenes thing. So I said, I got to find a place. So I didn't know what was going to come next. But the guy goes, oh, what are you going to do it? I go, well, I got to find a place to edit it. And I've edited videos before in New York and it was 35 an hour. So I figured I was going to have to pay that here, you know, to have an editor work on it, a video. And he goes, you should go to public access. I go, what do you mean? And he goes, well, where do you live? I said, Marina Del Rey. He goes, there's a public access in Marina Del Rey studio. I go, really? He goes, yeah, you go there. You could edit your stuff for free. You could put it on TV. I go, you're kidding me. So I go to the orientation. Brian Vatcher was the supervisor of the facility. And, uh, you know, we all leave with our stuff. And I'm going, wow, this is pretty amazing. I fill out the paperwork, make an appointment because you had to go through an interview process. So I show up, I tell him, okay, this is what I want to do. Edit these shows, you know, edit the Red Elvises and put it on public access. He goes, great. As I'm walking out the door, he says, wait a minute, what are you doing now? Because we were like chatting in his office. I said, he goes, no, he goes, what were you doing? What were you doing before? And I said, oh, I just got done working because I just got done with that. So <laughs> I'm telling my Brian Vatcher this. And I said, so now I'm just looking for work. And he goes, you'd make a good production coordinator. I said, really? Because I had no idea. So, and I, I, I'm just grateful I was dumb enough to be humble enough to just blurt out, what is a production coordinator do he goes oh you direct the shows you know you schedule the times i said great so i applied and um i got hired i mean yeah. it went through a series of you know i guess mike got the paperwork and went back <laughs> down to brian and then brian had me come in for an interview and then the rest is history he, he actually passed that that uh process i'm huh, like Actually, I think Brian might have embellished a little bit on what uh, Daryl's <laughs> qualifications might be, uh, but Daryl turned out to be a good fit and a fun guy to work with. So it, he was, it all he came was. out. We, that was the thing. It was it was fun. It was an opportunity to be creative, but also to just have a lot of fun. It was and, so much fun. Yeah, you never knew who was coming through the door, you right. know. And, and somebody no, would, right. would show up and say, "Okay, I've got this idea for a show," and and it was our job to try to figure out, "Okay, how are we going to make that happen?" and uh, you know, so you just had all walks of life. And so, so Mike, real quick, what, go over some of the rules. What were the rules of public access for somebody who wanted to come in and do their own show? What the, the, the biggest one that we had in force was it had to be non-commercial, right? So you can't use yep. the 
the free equipment, the free airwaves for right. commercial purposes. That's right. So everybody and their, their uncle wanted to come in and, and sell something, yep. Yep. their business, um, uh, a product, you know, and uh, one of Daryl's favorites, uh, Dr. Dr. Martin Cooper used to have this book that he came on to the same show hundreds of times trying to sell his book. <laughs> and we just had to keep beating him down to get him to follow the rules and not, not say, you know, how you could buy this book. And it was, it was a joke. I mean, we, we probably let him go more often than, than we should have, but that was one of the things was that it'd be non-commercial. Um, right. Other than that, you know, pretty much anything goes uh, over the years the, 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 wow. the uh, I think things got a little crazier as near the end. Yeah. Um, uh, but in the beginning, in the beginning, it seemed to be a little less known, at least right. in my opinion, like we're talking about 8485, you know, Ron said this, you know, there was, uh, the golden age of cable. Think about it. MTV, CNN, they were like the, the big new media uh, out, outlets. And That's then right. to have next to that channel, public access channel. So <laughs> it, it, it's not like it is now. You know, it definitely was the golden age, as you, as you put it, you know, the, the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And so, you know, you talked about people pushing the limit. And yeah, we all ran into that. Everybody wanted to sell something or or wanted to, yeah, they were trying to monetize it. And so they would redefine the gray area of what they could and couldn't do. And it was, it was incredible to watch how creative people could be, mm -hmm. you know, saying, well, I'm not really selling it. I'm, you yeah. know, but you know, and so well, just one of the things they would often say is, well, I never mentioned any prices. And right. I would say, well, watch a, a commercial for ketchup. They don't mention a price for that. Yeah. It's a, it's a big fat commercial. Yeah. So it doesn't have to have, yep. you know, prices and that sort of thing to, to be, no, the biggest thing was they'd have a phone number at the end. And if they wanted for more information, contact this number. If at that yeah. point, you're right. Between one and one, they they did some selling. That's up to them. But on on the air, that was the one of the rules that we had to uh, enforce often. That's well, right. they were they were doing this. The thinly disguised Tony Robbins created the format of faux talk show to get you interested in the underlying product. Like that was Mark yeah. Cooper's thing. Talking yeah. about people with spasmodic dysphonia, you know, <laughs> yeah, and he would, and how he worked with patients, and how because it was really not just selling his book; he was selling his services as right. a doctor who could cure spasmodic dysphonia. I don't even know what it was. Yeah. And, and uh, so the other thing, so then, so you would get people who wanted to sell things, but then you also got people who wanted to be famous, and that was, oh, the, yeah. and I think that was the majority of Ron. What you and I experienced was most yeah. people. Sometimes they really didn't have an idea. They just wanted to be in front of the camera right. so that they could show their friends and be, quote, famous. And, and so we, we had a lot of those. Fun. Horrible, horrible programs. <laughs> I still to this day, you know, have memories of some of those programs that were in my head, man. And uh, a, a lot of it was music. Remember people trying to sell their music? Yes. You know, that was the big thing with us uh, in, in, in Bellflower. Uh, uh, they're trying to sell their music and, and, and do dances and rap and all that kind of stuff. And the studio wasn't really set up for that. We didn't really have the equipment to make. We, we got creative, like Tony and some of those guys got real creative with the videos, but the better they got, the more people that started flocking in and the word got out. Yeah. So we had a parking lot full, man, of rappers and, you know, guns and weed and all kinds of stuff going on out there, man. And we had to shut the place down several times. <laughs> we, we did. I mean, oh. We were in the Bellflower studio. And so we were kind of in the middle of LA, more towards, 
not quite South Central, but that was the time when close enough, you know, all the gang wars were going on and South <laughs> yeah. Central was happening and we were close enough that they heard what was going on. And so we, we ended up doing tons of music videos. And so you'd get all these bands coming over and all these rappers coming over and said, yeah, I got, I want to do this music video. And so I was like, okay, but then they'd bring their entourage. Yes. And it was like, holy moly, you know, and then, yes. you know, with no rules they're smoking weed on the on the television which was illegal at the time and yeah and uh you know and we were always worried about weapons and and things like that and but um so it, you guys now over in hollywood and over in marina del rey you had more celebrity status so any uh any shows or celebrities uh come to mind that you guys might have uh, seen come through your studio that you guys might have worked with well yeah, yeah and uh, with ron saying you know people wanted to come on to be famous uh, I think because of the areas that Daryl and I covered, which was uh, Hollywood, yep. the Hollywood Hills, yeah. uh, West LA, yep. you know, there are industry people that lived and watched cable TV. Mm-hmm. And so I think for some of the producers, it was the, the, the hope that they would be seen. And there were people that became many celebrities and they get recognized at the gas station or wherever. Yep. Yep. You know, so uh, maybe less so in, in other cities, but in the center of Los Angeles, these people were, were yep. kind of famous. Uh, and, you know, and there, there are certain ones that I would see their persona on a sketch TV show. Uh, I mean, one of the, the, the biggest ones for me was uh, we had a, a producer named Skippy Lowe who used to interview <laughs> Hollywood stars. And Martin Short and Jimmy Glick, that, that was Skippy Lowe. The Jimmy Glick was an wow. overweight Skippy Lowe. Exactly that the way he played true. him. As, as sort of the, 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 the uh, really knowing nothing about the industry, but yep. asking silly <laughs> questions and, and being easily off of focus. And there was a show we did um, with two gay critics and on uh, Living Color, that, that whole uh, sketch with the, uh, the two guys that did movie reviews. Mm-hmm. I swear it was these two guys that we used to do the show with. Yeah. Exactly you know, the same delivery and the way, the way they acted. Uh, so yeah, you know, for the majority of them, it was sort of the path of nowhere. But for some of them, if they kept at it and got out there and had something unique, they became little little mini celebrities in their own right. Yeah. Did did anybody come through your studio that actually made it? You know, I've, I've a good story that just happened a couple of weeks ago. So back, um, I'm gonna guess '88 or so. There was a a, a young guy named uh, Paul Fag, who. Oh, wow. uh, uh, wanted to do a show. He was a stand-up comedian and he, he did this uh, one-man show where he was just trying to be funny to the camera. Um, and he, he struck me just because he seemed to have a little bit on the ball more than others. Uh-huh. And then through the years, he became you know, known for producing Freaks and Geeks. Sure. And then he gave a, a big uh, hit with um, uh, Bridesmaids. Uh, it was just a, he directed that. Uh, and he did a terrible movie, the, the Ghostbusters with the uh, the female female <laughs> Ghostbusters. But he, he's, he's done a lot of work and good stuff uh, for the years. And uh, he came in the studio where I work currently, a non-cable studio. And he was a guest on on the, uh, Deadline. Deadline is one of the brands that we have there. And I couldn't help but come up to him afterwards. And I said, you know, I don't know if you remember me, but I interviewed you when you wanted to become a, a public access producer back in the, in the day. And he remembered that. He didn't remember me, I don't think, but uh, he yeah. remembered the whole s- sequence. So that was definitely, you know, he didn't necessarily make it big in the public access world, but he kind of turned it around as far as, uh, you know, whatever uh, beginnings he had back then to a really 
a good career for himself. Sure. Wow. So he made, he's, wow. he's definitely made a big splash in, in Hollywood. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and you think about some of the shows that, that some of the, the celebrities that started, I think of like Tom Green way back yes. when started mm-hmm. public access and Daryl, you, I know you worked and, and Ron, we'll go to you after Daryl, but Daryl, you worked with quite a few celebrities that came through the studio as well. Who, who'd you see? Yeah, we had a lot of celebrities. We had uh, Adrian Barbeau. We had Stephen J. Cannell, who I grew up, you know, watching all his shows yeah. as a young teens. You know, he had all what we're, I mean, we can't even list them all. I think he worked on Columbo, but then he had all those shows. A Team. Yeah. Uh, come on, you guys know, wasn't, was it, you know, the typewriter at the end? The Rockford, Rockford Files. Rockford yeah. Files. Yeah. Rockford yeah. Files. I mean, this guy, I was like, oh my yeah. goodness. So we had him, Adrian Barbeau uh anthony bourdain then we had um marlo thomas now we had some people like i always didn't want to harangue like bother these celebrities i mean sometimes i would feel bad because i thought some of these celebrities they were coming to public access to die <laughs> well daryl also you would, you would find that they didn't know what they're getting into sometimes oh, no. right. yeah. oh, no. right. oh they, they would be on on a they think they're on a guest on a tv yes. show yes and didn't know this is a oh my god know, public access oh, <laughs> i got a great one i got a great okay so when i mean like die because we would also get a lot of those older celebrities like on the downhills not that they were i don't know why they B-list. were public, but they, they weren't they weren't, getting, they weren't getting the work anymore yeah they weren't yes. getting the work yes. anymore they're like, citizens yeah. yeah like yes they think I think they pull them out of that diner up on you know up there. Jerry's Are you Deli? Mike? Huh? <laughs> Jerry's Deli? No, there's a, there's a diner up there that they all used to go with. Who was the one who <laughs> who was the one who swam in the Poseidon Adventure? Shirley what? Shelly Winters. Shelly Winters. You know she was she'd eat there, and all her people would end up passing through in my public access station on a show. We had Sally Kirkland, who was very attractive in The Sting and a lot of movies oh, in yeah. the '70s. She came through and and I would go, what happened to these people? They're kind of weird. Like I thought they were like together people because they were on TV and in movies, but I found out that's not the case. Okay, there was one guy, Paul, Paul, what's his name? Oh my God. He was on like Falcon's Crest and all these shows. His name was Paul. He was still doing work and, you know, still doing work as a guest star on TV shows. Oh my God. Well, anyway, just imagine a guy from Falcon Crest. I can't recall his name, but anyway, so this guy comes in and he he thought he was, you know, this is a legitimate interview show, you know, and all of a sudden he's, he's on, like, he starts realizing this host who he never met before. It was all like done through emails or whatever. And he just assumed it was legitimate. And, you know, our studio looked pretty legitimate. I mean, I have to admit, because it was like, it looked like where you record little side productions, because it was clean. It was in Marina Del Rey. It was in a fairly new, cool, like somewhat industrial slash office workspace. Yeah. And it had nice parking in front, you know. So visually, it looked like it's a legitimate, a legitimate you know, production studio, someone would rent for a legitimate talk show. But he starts wondering about the host because the host is out of his mind. So so this guy, Paul, comes to me, he goes, um, what exactly? Oh, this guy? And I said, yeah, he does this show once in a while. And he goes, this is the first time I'm oh, meeting him. 
because the guy was like pre-interviewing him yeah, in, yeah. in the in the little, little green room and the stuff he was asking was off the wall and then when we're on the air the guy is asking him a question about a movie and his father and he talks in depth about the movie and then paul goes on about how the scene reminded him of his father you know his father and and that kind of worked to his favor in the acting you know something a fond memory of his father so then the guy goes um now in the green room we talked a little can you tell us a little bit about a fond memory you had you said you were going to talk about your father and paul just like looks into the camera because he knows i'm in the control room and, and he goes and he looks back and goes i guess we could tell that story again so he's <laughs> afterwards the guy, paul's like oh, oh man what did i oh well you know he was just yeah, like they kind oh, of shell shocked wow. when they came in sometimes i i yeah i, I we saw many of that it, you know it, you're you're right the, the studios looked legit when you came in yeah but what went on in there was not always legit <laughs> and so no, ron i know that you had a lot of you used to interview people so but you no. saw and and it, you know oh, you I, ron, oh. if you ever Oh, oh, go ahead. I got one <laughs> before they were famous. Um, you guys did a lot of hip hop and rap. We only had like one or two shows that would bring that in. <laughs> and this one show that brought it in. The problem was the rappers. I would tell them ahead of time. I go, look, this is a TV studio. The audio isn't that great. I go, look, we're not really right. soundproofed. Yep. I said, right, um, right. It's always best if you lip sync. But they yep. never wanted a yep. lip sync because oh, I just no. I knew it would sound perfect. The problem <laughs> right. was they 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 would see something they saw on TV, so they would hold the mic covering the whole mic like this. Yeah, yeah, and then it yep. sounded to it. <laughs> <laughs> so all you heard, you never all you heard was this, and I'm and Tyrone's looking at me, and I go, well, we, we can't do anything else. I mean, we're yeah. lowering all the buttons. We're trying to, and all you and I'm like, oh, oh my God, this is terrible. Guess who one of the bands was? You'll never believe. Before they had the female in, before they were big, um, the guy who had him on the show said, oh, he would always like discover these new acts, Black Eyed Peas. Oh, wow. Oh, it was wow. the three guys without the girl. They didn't have yeah. Fergie yet. Yeah. Can you believe it? They were they were in wow. the studio at Marina oh, yeah. Del Rey. <laughs> yeah, wow. That, that's wow. awesome. Unfortunately, wow. they sounded. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't appreciate them until much later. Yeah. yeah, we used to have that same problem, man, with the rappers. You know, they I guess uh in the industry, if you lip sync, you know, you're kind of punking out, if you will, you know. Uh they want you to come live, you know, you gotta bring it live, homie. You know, and uh <laughs> oh man, that just didn't work in a talk show studio, you know. But dude, we had we had we had celebrities come through uh all the time. But again, I was one of the guys that took it real serious. You know, and uh, our crew took it serious and we uh, pumped out some good stuff. Jeff, do you remember uh, Tyrese? Um, Eric Medell uh, did an interview yes. with him on the bus That's and right. Tyrese blew up. Man, you guys know who Tyrese is, right? I know you're out in the 
West. Anyway, um, <laughs> you guys don't get Sorry, it. Ron. But Ty, that's, that's, that's okay, Mike. That's okay. We we kind of knew that going in. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but Tyrese blew up, man, yep, uh, yep. from Eric Medell, who I hope he's not listening. But yeah, he didn't do such a real bang up job, but it gave him exposure. And this guy went on to like right even now to this very day is blowing it up on uh, what's that. Um, that stuff that he's in um, um, with the Furious, Fast and the Furious, and that oh, drifting yeah, thing yeah. and all that. Yeah, Tyrese, okay. and uh, that was amazing. Uh, I had Smokey Robinson come through there. Yep. Um, just all kinds of folks before they really made it big. Wait, and, Smokey uh, Robinson didn't? You're that old? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I am. <laughs> and then, so, you knew Smokey before he was I, famous? Well, not before he's famous. No, dude, that was like 1942. You know. I, <laughs> I was in yeah. diapers then, bro. You know, but I remember that. That was that was that was incredible because we. I remember you were saying Smokey Robinson is going to come in the studio, and I was nobody like, believed me. I was nah, like, nah. <laughs> really? <laughs> why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> but sure enough, he showed up. Showed up and, and uh, did the interview and and yeah, that was, we did a commercial with him and all kinds really, of stuff, man. You know, and um and people, I was just just amazing what that did. But yeah. some of the weirdos that came through there, you know, we had a guy named Boss Angeles. Remember him? <laughs> Yes, I do. Remember Boss Angeles? Yeah, this dude, yeah. dude just he just knew he was the the man, you know, and he came yeah. in and, and had all this big entourage and had a crowd, a bunch of naked girls and all that kind of stuff. And dude, this guy, I had no, like you said, I had no idea. I had no idea what he was <laughs> what he was saying and what he was all about. And then he got mad at us. You know, and remember, we had to shut him down and kick him out. It was a bunch of weirdos that came. Hazy Ice was one of of my favorites. Yes, he was. He he was avant-garde video, man. You never, (laughs) you, he, he would, he liked to to smoke his weed and and he would, and then he would get a hold of a camera and it was just kind of a stream of shooting whatever he was going to shoot. Oh, what a time to die. That was, and and it was just like it was like when you were watching his videos, it was like you were smoking right there with him because it was just kind of all over the place. And we had his videos got me high. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, we had to play, and he would, and then when he would drop off his tape to play, (laughs) he'd be like, "You guys gonna be in there? I'm gonna drop off my tape." And we'd be okay, and he'd like, and then he'd come in, and he had he always had his dark sunglasses on, yeah, and just a cloud would be following you guys, man, when he'd come in and drop off his tape. Yeah, I got my tape. Okay, okay. And, uh, but yeah, just a bunch of characters, but, um, and some of those characters did television that I wouldn't call it great television, but it was really entertaining. And, uh, I know that Mike, you had some of the most entertaining, uh, shows come through your, your, uh, studio. Why don't we, why don't we talk just a little bit before we wrap up tonight about some of some of your favorite shows that, that came through some of the, some of the things that, uh, that, you know, you saw in your studios. Well, I, my favorites were never the crazies. I mean, they had, they had their, their place. Um, you know, one show that I always sort of, I think uh, all of you might have worked on at one point or another, that I thought was one of our higher end shows was, was Connie Martz and Talks Books. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where she would have authors on. And these authors, you know, ranged from uh, uh, true authors like Louis L'Amour to celebrity authors. So we'd get a celebrity in. Um, and actually, she also interviewed a young author named uh, Barack Obama at the studio in Van Nuys. Really? Uh, for, uh, I think it was Group W at the time or Century Cable at the time. Wow. Uh, which I actually have a copy of that. It's, it's kind of an uh, interesting look at 
at a, a president before then. So I, I say you know, that was one of the favorites just because she always brought excellent guests. She was serious. She um, supposedly aired her shows also on PBS stations uh, around the, the country, not, 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 not just public access, but PBS. Oh, wow. Because of her legitimate guests that she would have. Yeah. Um, on the crazy side, you know, you got your David Hart. Uh, <laughs> oh no! Tell us, tell us uh, go. Just you got to explain you got to... David Hart, man. You got to. David tell Hart, us who David Hart was. Oh my God! He's actually fairly uh, infamous even today. Uh, he's a straight performer with puppets, and he would his show consisted of doing gospel songs for children mm. with these scary puppets. Uh, I mean, dirty, dirty scary, nasty dirty, scary puppets. <laughs> puppets, man. They were nasty. Yeah, things and, were gross. Uh, he, I still see him at the Hollywood Bowl. Every time I, uh, I go to the Hollywood Bowl, he's there performing for the people as they're leaving the, uh, yep. the performance. That's you know, what I've seen. Yeah. With his, his hat open for his, his, uh, his dollar bills. Dude, um, that guy made the LA Times, man. He was in the LA Times and everything. You got publicity. I was on vacation one year trying to get away from all this. <laughs> and I was on a United flight looking at their in-flight magazine. Oh, no. And there was a story about this guy who had come across a street performer with his great baritone voice and his puppets were singing. And here I am flying 10,000 feet and trying to get away from, from, from work. I'm reading about this one producer, David Hart, in, in the oh in-flight magazine. So uh, yeah, so he, he, he did a few guest stars on some TV shows, and I think he had a little uh, cult following of some sort. Oh, yeah. So years God. later, uh, after after we you know weren't working there anymore, but my son uh, started watching the Tim and Eric show, which yeah, had a right. cult following mm-hmm. on Comedy Central, and then and then the Eric Andre show. And sure enough, I'm watching this show, and he's like, "Dad, you got to watch this show." And I'm watching this show, and all of a sudden, there's David Hart. I'm like, <laughs> and he's just oh. you know, it's crazy to watch him. I mean, and, well, and 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 Jake's like, "Look at this guy," and I go, "I used to work with that guy." Well, I, in you fact, know, how many hours did? each of us spend on the phone with him oh, gosh. fielding his complaints that we weren't, we weren't doing enough to help him or we weren't showing his you show. You got any recycled tape? Well, you know about the, <laughs> I got, I got news about the Tim and Eric show. You know where it got its proof of concept taped? No. Westchester facility. No, that really? Those guys came in before they were big. Yeah. And uh, Mark McGuire was there and they were doing, these crazy shows and they would pull on they obviously purposely scoured public access tv finding the worst of the worst like people we didn't want back in the studio (laughs) (laughs) and they would funnel into westchester with tim and eric and they would put together these odd shows with these people who would do anything to be on camera so they didn't have to worry about paying them or anything Yep. And then those were the proof of concept shows that got them their um, contract with, I think it was Comedy Central. In the I beginning. think it was Comedy Central. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, so, so Daryl, I know that um, we were talking earlier and you had a couple of my favorite uh, uh, bad shows. <laughs> and, and some of these, some of the shows, well, a lot of the shows that we would get were religious based. Oh, oh so yeah! No! Would, oh no! Get, we would get different pastors and rabbis oh, and no. doing shows. Daryl, you had a couple of religious-based shows that were just absolute classics. One, one, you okay. describe for us now. Yeah, let me. This is amazing. So we had very, we had a lot of them. Now, first of all, there was the Israelites. I don't know if anyone listening knows what, <laughs> but these are these guys are the perfect. And they, I mean, 
dress wise they are the perfect cross between aladdin and the 40 thieves and and psychedelic <laughs> funk you know that band yes and you put those outfits together and you got the israelites the only thing that was a little intimidating is they're armed with actual yeah. like three foot long actual swords swords machetes, yeah yeah, or swords. yeah no, oh my god yeah so so <laughs> they're angry in, they come in well yes really they're, angry. If, if you meet them on the street when they're yeah. preaching they're very angry and scary <laughs> and during their show they're very but here's the thing they would come in and they were very respectful if they were late and i had to find them they were like no problem we understand it was crazy then as soon as they got on stage you know i mean i'm i'm trying i'm thinking i got a lot the things they're saying about you know me <laughs> well not me literally but just me based on the color of my skin oh I'm like, oh, man i'm like the devil yeah oh yeah i went on and on you well you oh, guys aren't blue-eyed devils i get the double whammy so um, <laughs> so and but then after the show ends and i'm like oh thank god that's over with then they're like Thank you very much. That was great. Can we reschedule? I said, sure. <laughs> you know? So we had that going on. And then we had uh, a, a lady. Uh-oh. I, I fondly nicknamed Burping Pearl. Burping Pearl. I've <laughs> got burping, the video. And, and you know what the crazy thing is? All these religious shows, had the, they wanted the blue curtain, green screen. They all yeah. wanted like some picture behind them. So we would have a picture behind them on an easel off to the side with a light on it. And unfortunately, sometimes during the show, the easel would fall down and all of a sudden the background would disappear and there'd be a loud kerplunk. I don't know if one of the interns bumped into it. And then like, and then you see an intern behind them, you know, setting the thing back up. But yeah. Burping Pearl had a nervous condition. Uh-huh. Um, Gastric. Where, we should well, state that Burping Pearl was our nickname for her. That wasn't her name. No, no, that's her yeah. nickname. Yeah, that's her nickname. So <laughs> we created that name. But she was so, a pastor. She was she, she was yes. a pastor. She'd come and sometimes dress Dude. in battle fatigue. She was like 70 years old. And she was normal, you know, until it was she like five minutes, five minutes before showtime. <laughs> five minutes before showtime, she's setting up in the studio. Oh, praise Jesus. Burp. Burp, burp. Praise uh. Jesus. There, she's burping nonstop. Praise Jesus. Like, and then during the show, she's going, you know, Matthew, you know, chapter five, verse. <laughs> praise Jesus. Wait a minute. So, so then I even created like a mini opening song for her. I was like, burping pearl, burping pearl, the burping Bible thumping burping pearl. Yeah. You know what I was saying? Like this old Western thing. Oh. Yeah, we had Burping Pearl. Ron, do Dude. you remember the first time that we, we saw Burping Pearl? Oh, man. A tape of it. I was like on you. the floor. <laughs> I was on the floor, dude. And then I used to do workshops. And when I do my workshops, the highlight of the workshop, I put in the tape of Burping Pearl. <laughs> and it covered everything because there's a lot that went on before the show went on, the miking of her up. Oh, you yeah. Know? And whatever she was burping must have had some hang time because the girl that was burping, <laughs> she's kind of like, you know, way back here trying to mic her up and everything. You know, I don't know if it had an order to it or what, but oh my God. 
oh my god i said this is what you don't do this is what you know that was a half you... hour show and she works continuously at least every minute once a minute through the entire show i still have that video man i still have it, it and daryl daryl swore me not to show it to anybody <laughs> So I was showing again my workshops and I said, you guys got to be real quiet about this. Because if my friend finds out that I'm showing this to you, you know, he's not, he's, you know, we're done, you know, and so they kept it quiet, but I still have it. I'm just waiting for the right moment to, well, the thing was, you know, there wasn't a secret because she, she would tape this. She knew she had the condition and she would tape it, but then she would air it, air it. Yeah. I don't think she was, for some reason, I think she believed it wasn't getting caught on film. I don't know. Even though it was during the show. And then there was always mishaps, like IDing people wrong with the lower third. So there was a band, uh, Nydia Coda would do a, now there was one person who would do a movie review show and I, you know, she really wanted fame and she would read from the teleprompter and she couldn't do anything. She was so, the teleprompter became like training wheels you never take off. <laughs> so I would use the intro of her show. I, I would tell people, look, you do not need to put your intro on the teleprompter because watch. And all of a sudden, hello, my name is Nydia. Slow down, slow down, slow down. And I'm like going, oh my God, you know this. You know the name of your show. You know your name. Then we had another, uh, these are all my mishaps and some devilish schemes that Mike doesn't know about. But there was, a, <laughs> this is the devilish scheme that now can come out because what's the is it seven years ron you would know what's that the statute of limitations <laughs> oh i don't know <laughs> i'm only teasing so no. anyway yeah how so oh anyway. really now okay i, get it. I so just listen, got it hey you said you were hanging around with guys with guns and weed so yeah with guns weed and roses guns and roses <laughs> so, so there was a there was a rabbi i don't know if you recorded by you do you remember rabbi rayshek Holy smokes. Do you no. remember him? No, uh, not at all. What's... Mike? Okay. No. So he never recorded by you. This is good. This gets better. So we had a couple of Hasidic Jewish shows where the rabbi, you know, would interview each other. So the one guy, Rabbi Rayshek, would do his show. Nice guy. You know, with his hat. Oh, you know, I'm beginning to remember him now. So, so Rabbi Reish, yeah, I just described every rabbi on the planet. Oh, anyway. but... <laughs> <laughs> you hit my memory bank. I now remember the guy. Yeah. Okay. So beard, this, right? this guy's show, this guy's show was literally reading from, I guess it was one of their, you know, uh, sacred texts. I don't think it was the Torah, but it was something. And he would start reading and without fail, Seven minutes into the show, you know, there'd be opening, Rabbi Reshek, and it comes to, hello, this is Rabbi Reshek. Today we're going to read the book. And he'd start reading, Rabbi Zumbo, seven minutes, always seven minutes in. He would put himself to sleep. Uh. He would fall asleep from his own reading. So I'd be like, all right, guys. Someone go, I got to use the bathroom. Go ahead, John. You could use the bathroom. We because he had, he had the studio booked for 30 minutes, right? And so well, the seven, cameras are still rolling. Yeah, so for 30 minutes. So he's got so 30 for 30 minutes. Min he, he, but he would wake up at the end because I would have the guy at the end say, okay. And like just say, okay, out loud. So he could give him his cue. So they go. And he never knew he fell asleep. So after about 10 of these shows, 
I started one. I go, there's no way this guy is watching these shows because he would see he's falling asleep. <laughs> so we had just gotten a new CG. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. What do you call that thing? Oh, oh Chiron. Chiron. There yeah, you go. Chiron. Okay. Chiron. Well, then remember we got that new one that could do some fancier stuff. Yeah. I'm still. Yeah. So you could put colors behind, and, and you could also. I don't know if you knew that it had a feature, Mike, where you could do a thought bubble. And a voice bubble did you know oh, that no. oh no <laughs> okay oh no so i would play around with fine look at these features we could do thought bubbles so during rabbi rayshek <laughs> i couldn't help myself oh daryl how could you i had to it was oh. for his own good <laughs> so uh you know every morning i ask god to remove these you know the defects he thinks he should remove and maybe some of them he leaves so i could help others so anyway <laughs> <laughs> so this is, here's the big reveal so oh, fall asleep we get the new cg and i go hey so i make a a word like a thought bubble because he's passed out <sighs> oy vey put it in uh -huh. Oy vey. <laughs> then 10 minutes later i made another one where it's like a whole paragraph of just z's because he's snoring you can hear, uh, uh, for 30 minutes for 30 minutes and i thought for sure i go after like i was laughing hysterically doing it then after i give it the tape i go this is gonna be the end of me because i go he's gonna see this show or someone not a peep he just kept coming in and we kept doing the shows. And I'll give you some some background. I believe he was so conservative of this certain Jewish faith, he didn't have a TV because <laughs> no, I'm serious. He would come drop off tapes at our facility, and he'd be mesmerized by the news on the, our TVs because we had a playback center there where it was always had the the news on, and he'd stand there for an hour. Oh yeah. To try to sneak in some TV. Yes, in the green room. You're right. He didn't have any at home. I didn't know that. And so because he, without a television at home, he didn't see his, his show. And that's why he hung around our offices is so he could see what he could on the on the television. Yes, so he, he would be mesmer he'd be watching it in the green room. You're absolutely right. I remember right. that. Well, yeah. you know what? That's funny because I bet none of his parishioners, if they're under the same religion, they didn't have TV either. <laughs> But he had to have a show. Well, he's trying to get new, new, uh, new people in. Right? <laughs> recruiting. So, yeah, well, recruiting. I was helping out his cause because I made him look like a fun guy. They probably thought he, was, <laughs> he could laugh at himself. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's that's hilarious. Well, wow. Before we go, so let's talk about what happened to public access. So, you know, it kind of, Mike, you mentioned earlier, it kind of, it started devolving. Uh, it got crazier and crazier. People were pushing the limits a little further and further. I think we had some problem with some nudity that people were, were oh, starting yes. to play folks in. Yes. And yes. Uh, what in your mind, what what happened to public access? I mean, what well, I, I think it was, it was a, a two-pronged situation. One, as you said, it sort of got out of hand. Yeah. And and things <laughs> started to, to deteriorate, much like the city of Los Angeles. Um, and at the same time, in and I'll I'll, I'll throw us a little history. In 2006, Verizon and AT&T went to Sacramento mm -hmm. and asked that instead of having city franchises, that the cable companies have a statewide franchise. Mm -hmm. Once yep. they did that, the cities lost their mm -hmm. ability to mandate studios and equipment and basically killed public access. I mean, so in 2006, uh, it was called the um, Digital 
Infrastructure and Video Competition Act. But <laughs> what it really meant was Verizon and at and didn't want to go to each city and get a franchise, got a statewide franchise. And once they did that, so did the cable companies. And that killed the city franchise system, which killed public access. Mm-hmm. And the cities didn't fight for it because there was a headache. They didn't want it around anyway. So yeah. it, that's how it went away. I mean, it was also the age of the internet and YouTube and stuff. So it was it going to on, yeah. go away anyway, but that's what really ended it for California. Yeah, I know. I know, <clears throat> I know that I worked for a city at that time and, uh, or prior to then. And from a city perspective, it had gotten so out of hand that it became a liability. The cities did work, you know, because people would associate themselves with, I'm shooting here in Bellflower. And it's like, oh, Bellflower would be like, yeah, I, we don't want that notoriety, you know, coming from. Yeah, from but especially, uh, Jeff, I'm sorry to, to interrupt, uh, but that's that's a good point. Because remember the guys, uh, butts and those guys that came in and just... Yep crucified the city council you know and they were flushing people down the toilet and all that kind of stuff (laughs) they're actual toilet right there on On stage yeah yeah and those guys man uh ended up getting a lot of riff from that man it got crazy and the city was was ready to you know to kill those guys man but but like like most governments they don't like to hear contrary opinions (laughs) right yeah because i was just thinking that would be a good thing to have exactly it is the 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 soapbox for somebody to, yeah. to rail against uh, an overreaching yeah. government agency or yeah. city council or mayor. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the cities w- will want to put a clamp on free speech. Yep. And yeah. public access was the ultimate free speech. Yeah, they had they had created a monster and it got a, it got loose and they didn't like it <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah so and eventually it was the downfall and so like we said it it still exists today but. Um, you know, in a much Very minor, minimal. you know, a, a lesser form than it than it was in its heyday. And I think the, the hope was always that it would take off and, you know, be this really beneficial service and, you know, provide the people a voice and that you would get legitimate people with legitimate points of view and give them an opportunity. But it, that's not who took advantage of it. I know, Ron, do you remember, what was the nudity thing? There was people, there were yeah. some people well, in that were they wanted to do a show in the nude and then we yeah. had to like create rules that said that said that it was a it was a health hazard <laughs> to our, <laughs> right i remember to that yeah. And, yeah yeah it was they, they were just pushing every limit they they possibly could they were smoking had a lot of volunteers for that show too yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know they were, they were doing drugs on camera they, i mean they were trying everything just to be outrageous mm. and uh yeah, so it was. It kind of had to had to come to a, a close, but um, yeah, we, we used to have a show called Colin's Sleazy Friends, and his sleazy friends were basically porn actresses. <laughs> and, oh, I remember. Uh, that. Yeah, and uh, they, they talked about the industry in great detail. And like I said the cable company de- definitely um, created a rule as a hostile work environment. Was yep. how we finally got rid of it. We couldn't get rid of it as far as nudity because that wasn't uh, forbidden. Right, but it was. It's a hostile right. work environment for the employees to have that shot. So they still air their shows, but they had to shoot it at home or somewhere else and bring it in. And bring it in. And right. when I say I remember that show, I what I remember is the hubbub around it and how the from the company point of view, <laughs> you know, here we've got this problem <laughs> happening in the studio. How can we get around this? Because right. we had crew members who were offended by what was going on in the studio. You had you know, I mean, you just can't have that stuff going on in a in a place of business. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, a place of business, and yeah. Well, you yeah. know, Colin Sleazy friends. Speaking of them, you know, um, they actually became mini celebrities. The co- the host and his sidekick ended up on an episode of Seinfeld. Oh wow! Really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. 
<laughs> wow. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you a little inside baseball. <laughs> I used to have to review these kinds of shows, including uh, sadomasochist type of shows, oh. and gay, <laughs> gay sex shows. And I <laughs> had to review them before they went on air, uh, mostly just to, to um, avoid having my, my staff have to view them. Right. You know, because I, especially this, this one gal that worked for me, she didn't enjoy watching these at all. So I would do it just so she didn't have to. And the things I saw and aired, <laughs> you wouldn't believe. And at one point I asked legal, the legal department of the cable company, how do I decide what's obscene and what's not? Right. And at the end, they finally said the, the um, definition can be determined by an expert in the field. Mike, we're saying you're an expert in the field <laughs> as a access manager and you make the call and we'll back you. Wow. So at that point, wow. I had then had a little bit of empowerment and I would tell Colin and some of the other ones, you know, I had a rule, no pink, no penis. And <laughs> they would stick to that. And if they got a little too much of either, I would say, sorry, that's got to go back. Um, so that, that was, that was kind of my, uh, my, my rule for them. That's kind of a, okay. We'll have to remember that rule, Ron. Was there a yeah. sign up on the wall with that, with that rule? I, I had a, a, a boss who said, does your wife know what you do for a living? And I said, you know, I tell her as little as possible. Well, I, I, I used to tell my friends, you know, when we would do these crazy shows and, you know, I would, I would go home and describe what we did, you know, and tell the family, tell the friends and people would be like, you, you get paid to do that. <laughs> and it was, and, and, you know, and we did first of all, and, but it was like we said before, it was, you got to be creative. You got to, to, to be, it was fun. You had to work with your friends. You know, I mean, we all, we all became kind of like a, a family in each one of these studios. And, and you really did learn how to, by, by producing bad TV, in many cases, you, you learned how to produce good TV. And right. It really right, gave you a, right. a nice skill set that, you know, has, continues to help me today so yeah i used to tell people you know we had the best of both worlds we worked you know pretty much bankers hours yeah so we didn't have to do a lot of uh, nights and weekends we didn't have to travel right the ratings didn't affect our job and we got to do everything it wasn't a union facility so we edited we lit we did audio right we did everything where yep. if i worked at a studio somewhere i'd be pigeonholed as a you, you know do, you do one a thing. boom operator one yep. thing yep. so yeah that, that yep. was the you know what i always pointed to it and I would, you know, I, I, I keep in touch with John Cloudfelter, who was, you know, definitely involved with access for a while. And we would say, you know, public access paid for this house. It fed my kids, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, it, it, the public access was, was good to us at the time. Yeah. I think we could all say that. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. one form or another. So yes, we never um, even got into the times that the studio got sued, you know, uh, remember Cesar Cantu? I ended up in court. <laughs> That's the only time I've ever had to testify in court was uh, because we got sued over a show and then the corporate attorney said, well, you got to go testify. <laughs> I'm like, what? There was a jury. It was like a television. There was like a full on trial. And then he acted as his own attorney. And so he was, <laughs> he was cross examining me. And oh, I, what did we get sued for? That we, uh, the lights went out and he, and he faked a fall. You know, he said that's that right. the lights went out on his show oh, and that he injury. fell. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so I had to describe what happened. Well, they were already getting ready to kick him out anyway because he was selling his shows, <laughs> that's right. you know, to, to a uh, Mexican uh, TV station, Spanish. That's right. Yeah. And you so would tape it there and then sell it 
to a Mexican TV station. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he was making money on it. What yeah, was, was the show? San Francisco. It was a terrible show. It was, yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, but he would bring in mariachi bands and yeah, busload. Remember, he brought the busload of San Francisco. From- that was the day they were going to shoot and they were going to shut him down. They shut him down that day. <laughs> that's and that's right. what prompted the lawsuit. He faked that That's injury. right. He showed up with a busload of <laughs> band members and dancers. And, you know, we had a tiny studio. He had like 50 people. We're like, we can't fit that many people in here. He's like, I brought these people from San Francisco. You have to bring them in here. I'm like, no, we can't fit them in here. It's it's not safe. And yeah, that became a big thing. And yeah, we we had many instances like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I feel like, like, like other producers, he was um charging he was oh he was no no he was yeah yeah i would charge big time charge guests to talk about their 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 stuff or 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 perform oh yeah and then we would find out about this check handoff in the green room and we say oh wait a minute (laughs) or they wouldn't wouldn't pay him and then that's how we find out because they come to us after and say that's right we didn't get our, our tape. We paid him 50 bucks. <laughs> yes, that's how I found out. Yes. Yep, so you, yep. you paid him 50 bucks. You know this is doesn't this is for free. You don't charge anything. And so oh we would find goodness. out usually from the guests yep. who, who got yep. gypped. Yeah. Uh, whether a producer was a, a, a good player or not. That's what that guy was saying. He says, Yeah, so they came, we came all the way from San Francisco, San Francisco man. And he right. said, and we paid, you yeah. know, and we expect to be on TV today, you know. Yeah. Yep. And that's yeah. how we found out. And that that's, that's right. That was right. his undoing. Yeah. <laughs> crazy man crazy 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 crazy, yeah oh man well we've been talking quite a while and so we're gonna wrap it up but before we do you guys got any final uh, parting thoughts uh what are you guys up to these days i know that for all of us for all of us we ended up not the the company went a different way and eventually one by one we all kind of went on to other careers but um this was kind of intimidating when we set this up because you guys are big in the podcast world daryl you have your own podcast tell us about your podcast yeah what, what you got going on and uh, where people can find you. Well, I have a podcast called Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed. And every week we do an episode where we talk about how stepping out boldly and in a, in a um, not like in a push a sho- I don't want people to get the wrong impression. It's not about like pushing and shoving to bring about your heart's desire, but just in your everyday affairs, stepping out boldly with a joyful confidence you know, you always end up experiencing better than uh, expected outcomes with a faithful attitude, you know, and if people listening have a problem with a religious idea of faith, you know, we let people know that the secular definition of faith is just as wonderful. It's actually joyful expectation. So when we go out with a joyful expectation instead of a fearful, morbid expectation, we usually are pleasantly surprised. So every week we talk about that sort of thing. And I mean, I know we didn't really, uh, but I got, you know, we actually got laid off folks. No one wanted to say that, <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> the best thing that ever happened to me was to get you know laid what? off. It was a blessing in disguise. It, it really was. was. So I, you know, I ended up getting almost a year's worth of um, severance. And during that year I wrote a, a book and um, I'm actually going to be doing a talk tomorrow during independent bookstore day. Uh, telling you know some of these fun stories um, that are in that book and I just finished my second book this year during uh, when everyone was complaining about the pandemic you know just like that first year when I got the severance all right you know how could turn lemon into lemonade so I put together this book and um, the first book that I'm going to be reading telling stories from tomorrow is what if Godzilla just wanted a hug it's a great book 
Thank you. Leading with the heart instead of the chin. And this one's called uh, Break Out of Your Box, Be Your Heroic Self. And it's similar type of stories that great, uh, great, more great. good more good is had through moving through uh, life with an attitude of expressing love rather than trying to force things to happen so that's that's really in a nutshell what i'm doing and if anyone wants nice. to get in touch with me uh, my website is easy to remember purposely didn't use my name daryl fazaro because no one's going to remember that but uh <laughs> Can't it's, spell it either. Yeah. yeah, I know. If you ever meet another <laughs> Italian kid named Daryl from New Jersey, give him my condolences. But uh, <laughs> moving right along, the website is uh, thiswillmakeyouhappy.com. Thiswillmakeyouhappy.com. All right. Nice. And, and, yeah. and, and Mike, how about you? Parting shots. Uh, what, what, what did you learn from your public access experience? And where did it take I, you to today? I thought you were going to ask me about my podcast. And oh, and your pod. Well, you, you, oh, you got, got. Oh, really? I don't have them after hearing you three jokers having a podcast. <laughs> I figure I could start one now. So uh, stay tuned. I'll, I'll get a podcast going. But you are involved, <laughs> but you are involved with podcasts. I mean, you kind of oversee the process, right? Yeah, actually, yeah. I'm a studio manager at a media company in Los Angeles uh, that with about 25 different brands. We do have a podcast studio, yeah. uh, which uh, serves as a a uh, podcast spot for like Variety Magazine and and um, Hollywood Reporter, Billboard. And so I, I, I do assist others with their, their podcast. Uh, and it's, it's, it's fun to see, you know, celebrities sit down with real celebrities, you know, A-listers sit down with, with a real writer and discuss the industry or discuss their projects. So yeah. uh, I'm involved uh, with that. But uh, uh, yeah, it, I think when I came to my current position, at uh, as a studio manager, the things I learned from production, being a, a, a public access employee, you know, it helps me in every aspect of my job currently. Whether it's lighting, editing, and knowing how to, you know, set up productions, uh, I, I came in with a wealth of experience that really adds to my my current job. And you know, I look back at public access as, as a, a fond free speech thing. I, I I think I was more optimistic about. The fact that we dealt with crazies, but it was important to give this avenue for anybody off the street to, to, to be you know out there on, on television, mm -hmm. and so I was an advocate, and you know I, I tried to pump up my employees who would get down with you know the, the, the drudgery of dealing with with wackos, but we, we tried to keep you know keep on on path that this was in, in its base form a good experiment. Uh, so I I I, I missed that aspect though with the internet and YouTube now I think everybody's out there, so it's it's just a different format. It really, well, it, like we said, it paved the road for those social media platforms of today. And uh, yeah. what we were doing back then, you know, it wasn't as polished, but that's what you see people doing on all the social media platforms today. And really podcasts, podcast is kind of, to me, that's kind of the, the, the new horizon that, you know, we'll see where it goes. As you can see, anybody can do it, <laughs> but uh, you know, but it, we're, in, we're having fun with it. And uh, Ron, what's, what, what, what's your parting thoughts? Well, I'll be appearing live at the Sizzler up on Woodruff. <laughs> and uh, But no, uh, 
uh, you spoke about that layoff and, and I know some people are still struggling with that layoff because it was huge. It was swift, you know, and it was just uh, uh, shocking at the time for most folks. But I rejoiced, man, because they yes. laid us off on a Tuesday and I was I was already working that Thursday for the gas company shooting video out in a helicopter, you know, so uh, it, it, it worked for me. And then um, as I began, the first thing I did with my severance, Mike, was I went and bought me equipment, you know, and started my own right. production company. Right. And I was working and I never stopped working. And so through Jeff, I was able to get hooked up with the city of Anaheim and uh, do the government access thing. And I'm probably making more money now than I ever made uh, with the cable systems uh, and having more fun. And I hope they're not listening, but doing pretty much less work as well, you know, but <laughs> but it's just been amazing, you know, and I thank Jeff for that. Uh, and, and you all, both of you guys, you guys are both instrumental in, in one aspect or another of, of uh, what I've done. And so I, this is why this is so special to me to see you two guys. And uh, we talk about you all the time when Jeff and I have our, our, our powwows, you know, your names always come up. What is Daryl doing? How's Daryl? You know, you know, what is it? Well, we, we, I kind of knew what you were doing, uh, you know, uh, Mike, but, uh, it wasn't much, so it was much to discuss, but anyway, uh, I, I'm just kidding, just kidding, man. Just kidding. Anyway, but no, man, it, it's been great. And so I thank you guys. Uh, <laughs> I thank you guys really and truly from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for being my friends. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that, that's, uh, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, because of our public access, our, our shared public access experiences, we all got to know each other. And yeah, maybe it didn't end the way that I thought it was going to end, but I'm grateful for, for the experience that we had and, uh, you know, and, and being able to learn as we went, uh, you know, to be able to use equipment, to be able to, to, to hone our skills. And uh, like I said, it serves me today. I know it serves all you guys today. So it's really been a, a, a fun journey. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I thank you guys for, for coming on. And thank you, brothers. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Jeff. It's been a, been a blast. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right, we'll take uh, us out of here, Ron. Okay, I was until I saw that big mic. That's an awfully huge mic, man. <laughs> hey. Daryl Fazaro has a People can't big. see this, but Daryl has a giant mic. <laughs> that, yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> that, that is that legal? I mean, my God, man. It's not the size yeah. of the mic, it's what you do with it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it all depends on the mic, don't no, you? Right. Anyway. <laughs> That just about wraps it up, folks. Uh, what a great time. And I know you've enjoyed it because surely I have. And we'll see you next time on I Was There. I'm Ron Roberson. And I'm Jeff Trujillo. And Jeff, before we leave, let the folks know how they can get a hold of us uh, if they want to well, come up with a story can, or have something to can, give to us. You can email us at the I Was There podcast at gmail.com. Or the easiest way is just go to our Facebook page, the I Was There podcast and uh, drop us a, you know, a message and we will get back to you. And we, again, we appreciate our fans. We we'd love to hear from you. And if you know of anybody who has some history that they're willing to share, we would love to share that with our audience. So, uh -huh. yep. Great. Let's and go. special thanks to our guest today. Appreciate you. Hope to have you back on again. And uh, this about wraps it up right here on I Was There. See ya. <laughs>